1: Learn how to eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran.
0: Professor Rin Barry, the noted historian of the vegan and vegetarian movements, used to tell this story. If you were a true yogi, a genuine practitioner of yoga's first moral precept, ahimsa, non-killing, non-harming, reverence for life. You might be walking in the woods and see that a deer just ran off in the west, but if a hunter asks you which way the deer went, you could be on firm moral ground by turning from the moral teaching that says you shouldn't lie and saying to that hunter with a straight face, oh, the deer went off to the east. And if you needed to, you could even turn from the teaching that says that you shouldn't steal, and you could filch that hunter's arrows or his bow, because ahimsa is the highest teaching. Now, if it really came to this, you could even turn from the sacred teaching of brahmacharya, that calls for sexual purity, and you could seduce that hunter, because if it would save the life of the deer, that would be precisely what you needed to do in the moment. Why? Because ahimsa, reverence for life, is the highest ideal. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran, and welcome to the Main Street Vegan Podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you with us today, and it's also a pleasure for me to be able to tell you that my guest today is one of those true yogis. She is Sharon Gannon, co-founder of the Jivamukti Yoga Method. Prolific author, her books include the most beautiful cookbook I own, Simple Recipes for Joy. And she's also come out with a splendid new book, Yoga and Veganism, The Diet of Enlightenment. And in Yoga and Veganism, Sharon Gannon explains that not only is a vegan lifestyle the ideal way to express ahimsa, it's also the ideal way to express every one of the ancient sacred yoga teachings. Welcome, Sharon Gannon. Thank you, Victoria. It is we- lovely to be in your presence, even though you're upstate New York, I think, today, and I'm in the city, and, and our... Uh, Wonderful engineer is out there in Missouri, but just as yoga teaches that we are all one and all connected, we're certainly connected on this program today. So for those of you, um, those of the listeners who don't know you yet, who haven't heard you when you've been a guest on this program before, just tell us, why are you vegan?
1: Why am I vegan? Um, I'm vegan because to eat meat and dairy products is a mean thing to do. And I don't want to be mean. I mean, who wants to be mean?
0: And why do you think that you see that, and other loving, kind, gracious people haven't yet seen it? For me to answer that, um, I don't think
1: I can answer it. I, I don't know why. Um, I. I'm just trying to mind my own business, really, and and try to, um, (laughs) I'm really, as a yogi, I'm not um, too interested in judging others or finding fault with others. Uh, (laughs) It's a big enough job for me to try to be uh, a good person, a kind person, and to expand in my awareness to the best of my ability. But I have, of course... Like everybody, assumptions and speculations. But I just want to preface it with: I really don't know why other people are not vegan. Um, I, I don't know, uh, but but I do know why. See, I tend to want to be on the positive side instead of against. So I. I do have some ideas as to why people do choose to be vegan and usually they fall under four categories. For health, their own health, uh, the environment, for animal rights, and for spiritual realization. And of course those four reasons overlap for many people uh, in, in many ways.
0: And they're all certainly part of yoga.
1: Well, I think so. Yes, <laughs> and um, I, I came to that conclusion uh, not in a whimsical way, but through studying the Sanskrit yogic scriptures for the last forty years, and uh, and so that's what's really exciting for me—not to just voice my own opinion about something but to actually be able to back it up with uh, authentic uh, scriptural references. And yes. that's what I've, I've and, tried to do in this book, Yogan And you
0: do it beautifully. It is an absolutely wonderful book. So everybody, you must read it or listen to it on Audible, which is what I have been doing, and it's wonderful to have it coming straight from Sharon's wonderful voice into your ear. And the uh, introduction is by Ingrid Newkirk, founder of PETA, so you get to hear her enchanting British accent (laughs) introducing this book. But Sharon, I do know that even as a small child, You had some sensibilities about animals that some people don't remember having. There's a story in the book about you and your imaginary friend, Mrs. Goose. What happened that day?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so um, I lived with my parents and Mrs. Goose uh, in Florida at at the time that the story took place. I was about... um, I don't know what do I, what do I say in the book, three or four or five, something like that. And my parents told me that Mrs. Goose was an imaginary friend. I didn't really know what that meant at that time, nor do I really know what that means at this time. She was a very real person, and she was very much a part of my life, very present, um, very real, uh, as real as my parents or, or any other Person that I had any kind of relationship with, and one day uh, we had gone shopping to the grocery store, and we came back home, and we lived in a house that bordered the Everglades. You know, uh, I think most of our listeners are aware of the Everglade forest in um, in Florida, where still, I mean, it's 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 fairly protected, and it is a a place of uh, wildness. And um, I think it's not as wild as it was when, you know, when I was that age. I'm almost 70 now, so it's been quite a while. But still, we arrived home, and uh, Mrs. Goose and I ran. Uh, we were racing each other to the uh, front door. and And then Mrs. Goose abruptly stopped and told me to wait. And she indicated with her wing that there was someone uh, on the stoop right in front of the door and that we should approach cautiously. And so I looked and I saw a beautiful snake, a coral snake. I mean, this snake was just stunning. And I assume she was out there sunning herself on the... On the stone steps, and so I reached down to um, pet her, or to touch her, or to talk to her, to relate to her, and my my father came, and he was very upset, and he uh, he, he killed the snake, and um, I I so distinctly remember that when he hit her, and he hit her with a crowbar, I think that he had in the trunk perhaps, that she looked at me, and I saw her eyes, and she looked at me with the question, Why? Why are you killing me? What what have I done? And that um, incident taught me so much. Uh, First and foremost, it taught me to be careful, meaning because of my enthusiasm, my reaction, uh, running and, and wanting to see what was going on, I alerted my father, who, you know, just trying to protect me, but still, perhaps if I had... Practice a little more restraint, approached what um, Mrs. Goose was showing me with a little more caution and calmness, Um, I could have avoided her death.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, but
1: go ahead. Yoga teaches us that um, a negative, you know, negative, uh, when you're motivated by anything negative, uh, it's, it's, it doesn't usually turn out well. So you should always bring yourself to a state of calmness and serenity before you act. And uh, so that there were many lessons that the snake taught me, but certainly that is a very important one that I try to hold with me um, even now, yes.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that story. You have many. And you've given me yet another way to relate to you because I too had imaginary friends. Phoebe and Marcella were the primary ones. And I remember when I was about seven and hadn't seen them in a long, long time. And uh, Phoebe came to me and said, we've been watching you, you're going to be okay. So we won't be around anymore. And I just said, okay. (laughs) so I think uh, a lot of uh, only children and uh, people who think about the big picture (laughs) may be blessed with imaginary friends when they're young and wonderful real world friends when they're older. Uh, I certainly consider you that. So I asked you at the very beginning, Sharon, why you're a vegan. How about why are you a yogi?
1: Um before i answer that i want to can i say something to our our listeners right now
0: of course um uh,
1: i want them all to know that you have a story in my book as well and and that is a really one of the highlights of of this book is your story and there are a few other people who actually have shared their story of how veganism has impacted their life changed their life transformed their life for the for the better and um and your story is just beautiful and maybe if we have time today you could read um at least something of your story i'm sure the listeners would love to hear that
0: that is very kind. <laughs> we'll see if we no, have time for kind. that in the second half. And it's that's something else I'm going to ask you about, story. about this book and why, why you brought other people into it. But tell us why you're a yogi, then we'll get to that.
1: Okay. I became a yogi because I felt it could give me a platform to speak up for the animals. So I was an animal rights activist, first, and I was very... um, I didn't really have the skills that I knew I needed to uh, facilitate effective, positive action. And I had been studying the Yoga Sutra and the Bhagavad Gita, but I hadn't really known how to put what I had been studying into practice. I was a um, a librarian at the time in a spiritual library, the Theosophical library, and um, came across these books and And in those books, I found what I had been looking for, a solid foundation from which I could draw to give the message of compassion and uh, animal rights. And so I became a yogi through reading, through study, um, but then I utilized what I had learned to, um, to become an animal rights activist. So, of course, yoga is about connecting to God. Yoga means to connect. To connect not to your body not to your mind not uh, to your personality better not even to your breath better but ultimately it is about connecting to the in Sanskrit it's called the Atman it means the eternal soul which is within each and every being human beings animal beings trees rivers lakes, all of life, because God is everywhere, permeates and penetrates in every cell and atom of existence. And so yoga really means um, when you remember that. Remembering means reconnecting to make a member again. So you, you remember your connection to the grander scheme To the divine plan. That is what um, yoga is. And the main obstacle to that realization, the main obstacle to yoga, is prejudice. This is what Patanjali says in the Yoga Sutra prejudice and preferences, thinking that we're separate from everything else around us, and seeing otherness instead of. Our connection with all of life.
0: Oh my goodness, Sharon, you said so much there. I love how you talked about the the inner presence of, of the divine. As I'm reading your book, I'm reading several other um, yoga books at, at this moment. And I love it when it connects me to my own uh, tradition that I, I grew up in, Christianity. And as I've been thinking about this inner life, this Atman within that the yogis talk about, this line from, from the Bible, First uh, John 4, 4, keeps going through my head. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I love when the same truth pops up in different traditions and different cultures, because as the theosophists say, truth is one, and it has many names. So I want to ask you about the Theosophical Library. What Theosophical Library were you in when you made this discovery? In Seattle. In Seattle. Well, the reason that I ask is that from 1970 to 1972 I lived in Wheaton Illinois at the Theosophical Society headquarters and worked in the library <laughs> so, so I just much feel in like common, Victoria. We we've do. had I'm we've really- had so many parallels and we both went vegan in 1983 I mean where do you get yes. that
1: <laughs> yes I, I i i've been vegan since then yes
0: uh, I, I
1: became vegan when i I saw a movie, a film called *The Animals* film, a British documentary, narrated by the actress Julie Christie. And uh, I went because it, I had seen a poster. It was playing at a local theater in Seattle, and it said the soundtrack by Robert Wyatt. Robert Wyatt was a musician, a composer that I really, I really uh, had great respect for. And, uh, and that was what draw, drew me to the film, was that Robert Wyatt did the soundtrack. But after that experience, which is quite a long, if any of your, you listeners have seen that film, the Animals film, it's quite a long documentary, over two hours. But after that, I could never be the same. So after seeing that film, shortly after I became a vegan, and shortly after that, um, a yoga teacher
0: Ah, oh, it's a beautiful story. I think the animals films w- could be considered Earthlings of the the previous uh, couple of decades. Yeah, it was, it was a beautiful so film, and and we used to see films only in theaters, so so we had to see it on the big screen. It's quite yeah. quite moving and and profound. So you asked if I'd read a little bit from my story that is in your fabulous book Yoga and Veganism. So yes, I have please. it right here. And I That's will read um, just the opening bits, okay? Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's it's called From Kansas City Carnivore to Main Street Vegan, Dee Dee was my first spiritual teacher. The grandmother-aged nanny who joined our family before my first birthday had studied the spiritual teachings of Rosicrucianism and Christian science, and she'd visited mediums who could talk with the dead. When the nuns at school chastised me for suggesting reincarnation, Dee said, they mean well, they just don't get out much. One afternoon, I came home from first grade, eager to recite the four food groups for Didi. These were the U.S. Department of Agriculture's dietary gold standard at the time, recommending that people eat daily from the meat group, the dairy group, the fruit and vegetable group, and the bread and cereals group. Didi responded, humph, (laughs) there are people who never eat meat. They're called vegetarians. I could take you to a restaurant that serves hamburgers made out of peanuts, and you'd think you were having beef. Well, we never went to the peanut burger place, but hearing the word vegetarian awakened something in my soul. There it cavorted with my interests in mysticism and meditation and life after death and a craving to know the meaning of it all. At 17, that desire led me to discover yoga, something that in the 1960s actually had to be discovered. And we go on from there. Ah, Sharon, what a pleasure (laughs) to be in the world at the same time as you. So you have this amazing book on yoga and veganism. Not all yogis are vegan. So, what does veganism have to do with yoga?
1: Um, Veganism awakens compassion. And compassion is the direct route to enlightenment. And as I I kind of touched on a few minutes ago, yoga is enlightenment. Actually, it, it means enlightenment. It means yoga is when you realize your connection to the eternal, to God, and that's another way of expressing enlightenment. Compassion is what yoga um, helps to develop within us. And why that's so important is because through compassion, we can overcome otherness. Seeing others instead of seeing seeing God or seeing our own, eternal uh, self in all things and beings and I think that uh, yoga um, in in so many ways helps to ignite that realization of compassion within us I mean all of the practices asana chanting the name of God uh, kindness Following the yamas and niyamas, not just ahimsa, but satya, telling the truth, ashteya, not stealing, brahmacharya, respecting sexuality and not abusing others sexually, and aparigraha, not being greedy, all of the, there's so many of the yoga practices that are given to us. Um, Empathy and sympathy are not compassion they're not the same. Inside of compassion, I think sympathy and empathy do exist. But sympathy is when you can, you recognize that someone else is suffering. Empathy is when you recognize that someone else is suffering and you actually feel it as if it's happening to you. But compassion kind of pushes the bar up a few notches. Compassion is when you Recognize someone is suffering, you feel that suffering, but you're gonna figure out how to alleviate that suffering. So you and they do not suffer. And so compassion is really another way of, of talking about spiritual activism. To become activated by the spirit because it is only through the spirit that you can uh, become compassionate. The ego by its very nature is self-centered. It's not able to be compassionate. And so the spiritual practices like yoga provide us with means to transcend the ego, to take a break from its relentless demands and um, channel from some a more expansive loving place call it the call it god call it the higher self call it the atman um there are many ways to refer to it but when we begin to tap into compassion and become spiritually activated in this way not motivated by what we think should happen or what we think others should do, not motivated by anger or blame or judgment.
0: 10 seconds, Sharon. (laughs) Okay, we'll be back uh, after this break.
1: Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran.
0: everybody. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this afternoon. Our engineer and our guests are working on the sound quality to make that better for you. So hopefully they'll get that taken care of in the next minute or two which will give me a chance to let you know what is going on in the wonderful world of Main Street Vegan. So if you've been listening to this program for a while, you know that I hang out at mainstreetvegan.net and at Main Street Vegan on social media and over there on Facebook we actually have a Main Street Vegan podcast listeners group. And you are welcome to join that. And what is cool about it is it really gives you some input into what goes on on this program. You can tell me what you like, what you want more of, somebody fabulous that you know about who ought to be on the program. And we'll just get them on here just for you. That is Main Street Vegan Podcast listeners on Facebook. And also, if you pop over to MainStreetVegan.net and check out Main Street Vegan Academy, we have been around since 2012, training and certifying vegan lifestyle coaches and educators in a magical six days in New York City. And now we are increasing the magic around the world via Zoom. So that means that you can take the Main Street Vegan Academy course, either as a wonderful vacation experience, or as a very affordable, very convenient uh, course with the same amazing instructors and the same very respected certification anywhere you are on planet Earth. So do check us out. Now let me just check with my engineer and see if we have Sharon Gannon back with us. Hello. Sharon, you're here. Fantastic. Bless you. (laughs) Welcome back.
1: Well, on this phone. Good. I, I, I there's no service. I can't seem to get through. So I'm so sorry.
0: Don't well, I hear you beautifully? You you can. Okay. Yes. Yes, I hear you perfectly. <laughs> so, I just wanted, as we start this this second um, um, segment, Sharon to get into a little bit of the yoga history, because what you do in the book, Yoga and Veganism, is you really look at um, Patanjali's yoga teachings, you go in, into the Yamas, and you talk about all of them in relationship to veganism, and yet so often we'll get the pushback, as you described once in the book you were at an event, And it came up that you didn't consume dairy products. And a fellow yoga teacher said, well, that's not very yogic. And I think we do get that because of certain teachings around Krishna and milk and ghee and cows. Can you please explain those teachings and then the yogic view, the vegan yogic view?
1: I'm sorry. I... I didn't uh, hear the question. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, The question is, in the teachings of yoga, um, many people talk about Lord Krishna and that he really liked butter and that milk has been sanctified uh, for human use. Uh And obviously, vegan yogis see it differently. Yes. Um,
1: Certainly, yes. Absolutely. I am a... Krishna uh uh I'm a worshipper of Krishna. Krishna is my personal form of God. Krishna and Christ to me are the same. Uh so I consider myself a uh, a yogi, a Christian, um I mean, yeah. What other people do, what other people say, it really doesn't bother me. You know, if they challenge me, um I I'm pretty I'm pretty strong in my conviction, and, um, I'm not easily intimidated because in a spiritual practice, you become strong in your heart and you become confident from your soul's connection to, to God. And, and, um, you know, people have a right to whatever opinion they, they want to have. Um, When you study Sanskrit, then which I have had the privilege to do, and it is a lifelong study, you come to realize that uh, the cows, the butter that all are associated with Krishna are metaphoric as well. That go is the Sanskrit word for cow, and it means senses. So he is the friend to the senses he is the uplifter of the senses he he exalts the senses he moves your sensory central experience uh it el- he elevates to a a more cosmic celestial level than just a mundane uh, grabbing for what might satisfy your ego and um so in that respect um i have no problem with uh associating krishna with with goats or cows or senses um uh, the cows were a a metaphor a symbol in the krishna bhakti tradition
0: beautiful Now, usually, because this is radio and I'm the host, I come up with the questions, but in this case, you have provided dozens of extraordinary questions in your book itself. So now we're we're gonna have the, do you remember what you wrote in your book game? (laughs) And I'm gonna ask you some some of your own questions from uh, yoga and veganism. Shall we start? Okay, so I'm going to ask you some of the questions from your own book. You have a wonderful Q&A section in the back. So the first one is, I agree that factory farms are horrible, so I only eat happy meat that comes from free-range animals who have a good life and are slaughtered humanely. Isn't that okay?
1: (laughs) Um, Victoria, can you tell me what number that is? (laughs)
0: That's number 30. Question number 30
1: Question number 30, yes. They are all numbered for easy reference as what we are um, experiencing right now, easy reference. Okay. Let me. A- Here's my answer in the book. Let me ask you this. If you were living a happy life, would you want to die? And would you personally be okay with being murdered violently, having your throat cut, your body hung upside down by one foot until you bled to death? How do you humanely kill someone who doesn't want to die.
0: Very good answer. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Give me
1: another question.
0: <laughs> How about question number 32? Is it okay to drink organic milk?
1: Cows that are fed organic food are still kept as slaves on farms, regardless of whether it is a large corporate factory farm or a small family farm as a yoga practitioner with some understanding of how karma works, you have to ask the question, if I am seeking liberation, will it serve my purpose to rob other beings of their freedom? We ourselves can never be free if we rob others of their freedom. Besides, every dairy cow, no matter what she has been fed, ends up in the slaughterhouse.
0: True, indeed. Let's see. Let's get a little bit uh, karmic here with question 39. If the law of karma is true, shouldn't we accept the fact that animals are suffering because of their karmas? It
1: is true that every being is enjoying life or suffering as a direct result of his or her own past actions. The animals in the factory farms may have been meat-eating human beings in a previous birth. We don't know, and it's not our place to judge. Nonetheless, their suffering provides us with an opportunity to step in and alleviate suffering where we can see it. By choosing to be kind instead of cruel, we can break the karmic chain of reacting to violence with more violence, contributing to a more peaceful future for
0: everyone. And let's finish up this part with question 46. Can you eat meat and still be a spiritual person? <laughs> All breathing beings
1: are spiritual. This includes everyone who breathes, whether they are animals or humans, carnivores or vegans.
0: That is beautiful. Thank you, Sharon. I love that. Love it, love it, love it. So, <laughs> I I read your earlier, your edition, I don't even want to say edition of this book because this one is so different, and yet in 2008, you wrote um, Yoga and Vegetarianism, so um, I want to ask you about the differences in in the two books and why you chose to expand and rename and revise the book this time. Okay, Um, well,
1: the uh the first book i wrote in 6 days can you believe it 6 days no i cannot <laughs> <laughs> well actually because that was all the time i had i didn't really want it to i wasn't trying to um you know run a race or something um but it was all the time i had with all of my administrative duties and traveling teaching and lecturing on the publisher the deadlines and everything um and It was the publisher who uh, suggested the title, Vegetarianism, although the book was about veganism. And so I had wanted to do an audio version of the book because many people had requested it. And so I went to the publisher and and suggested um, that I do an audio book, and were they okay with that? And they said to me, that would be wonderful, but why... Why don't we revise the book? Why don't we um, expand it? And, and I'm sure you have many—you know—you have more time to work on it this time. And, and that's how it came about. So it is a revised, rewritten, and I mean, there's a lot of new things. I mean, it's it's over uh, twice as big as the first one, and um, there are recipes. There are the stories that we've already mentioned your story included and uh, there's this audio book which um, I hope will be very helpful if not entertaining to
0: people (laughs) No, it's both and um, the other thing we talked about you reading and Ingrid Newkirk reading but everybody who has a story is is reading so you you get to yeah. hear people's stories from the people themselves so i believe uh, ingrid also has a story in the book who else uh, will we be reading from that maybe we've heard of kip
1: anderson ah
0: cowspiracy uh,
1: the incredible uh, cowspiracy um and he's working on a new film cow spiritual and he also did what the health um so we'll be hearing from him. We'll be hearing from a woman named Beth Watson, who was a former lobbyist in Washington, D.C., for the pork U.S. Pork Association. And can you believe that? Then she came to uh, some yoga classes and totally transformed and became a vegan and um, animal rights activist and a yoga teacher and quit her job as a lobbyist so there'll be you know pretty dramatic stories in uh in the book there's um i don't want to give too much away okay
0: well we'll we'll let people read or listen um and you know this is one of the things that i'm learning from having become kind of addicted to audiobooks is that the ones that i really really love i end up as a book <laughs> that I can also read and highlight and mark up and make notes in. So it's it's wonderful to get the information in all sorts of fabulous ways. So as, as we um, come winding down, I, I don't want to miss this opportunity to let everybody get a sense of Of how veganism connects to each one of these yogic teachings and you've touched on it briefly but let's just go over each one so that we understand that Mm -hmm. yoga as our lovely friend Holly Skoda says is vegan so I told a story about ahimsa but I want to hear about ahimsa from your point of view okay
1: In Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, which is uh, he lays out the the philosophical foundation of yoga, and every yoga teacher, whether they have studied Patanjali or not, actually is following or connected to his his um, teachings in some way or another. So he says that uh, yoga is when happens this enlightenment happens when you realize that there are no others when you just see the divine everywhere you look and prejudice disappears and um, etc etc so he he's a very practical person yoga is very practical and so he says well what happens if you are not enlightened and you are still seeing others then what should you do how should you behave towards them and that's, he lays out five suggestions. He says, one, don't hurt them. Two, don't lie to them. Three, don't steal from them. Four, don't abuse them sexually. And five, don't be so greedy as to cause them to become impoverished. And so what I have done is I have uh, related each one of these to, uh, being a vegan. And then he also says, this is what will happen. These are the changes that you will see happening in your life if you do follow these suggestions. So he says, if you don't harm people uh, and, and people in a broad sense, not just human people, if you don't harm anyone, then no one will harm you. That's sort of like it's an incentive he gives. You know, it's the result. And so I relate that to, to veganism. And, and then he says, if you don't lie, then what, when you say, when you talk, people will listen to you. And what you say will come true. And you will be able to say what you mean and mean what you say. Wow. That's good incentive for for telling the truth, I think. Then he says, non-stealing. He says, if you don't steal from others, and of course, uh, eating uh, animal products is all based on stealing from the animal. You steal their babies, eggs, their lives. You steal the sunshine. You steal their freedom, etc. And he says, what will happen to you if you do not steal from others? You will become wealthy. It's the secret to wealth. Then he says brahmacharya, meaning don't abuse others sexually. He says if you refrain from abusing others sexually, you will enjoy good health, vitality, charisma. And of course, probably all of your listeners know that every animal that is raised for food is sexually abused. Lenapadigraha means greedlessness. Patasia says, if you stop being greedy and hoarding and taking more than you need, then what will happen, and this is like incredible, he says, what will happen is you will come to know the purpose of your life. You will come to know why you were born. You will come to know your destiny clearly. (laughs)
0: wow oh talk about an offer you can't refuse (laughs) wow Sharon that's beautiful so I want to ask also you talk about in this book the kind of yoga that most people think about when they hear the word yoga and that is asana the yoga postures How, how do those fit in oh yes well you know every action that we
1: have done leaves an impression upon our cells and tissues of our body even in the subtle aspects of our emotions and our minds and action karma means action so uh, you know the sanskrit word karma doesn't mean good action or bad action it just simply means an action any type of action could be a physical action could be more subtle like um uh, a word is an action speaking uh, a thought is a very subtle action so all of these actions or karmas leave impressions and those impressions act upon us and actually contribute to forming our personalities and our likes and dislikes and our ambitions etc and so asanas It's one yoga practice that has been designed to actually root out the causes of our um, present condition from a karmic level so that we can resolve those karmas. And we resolve those karmas like any resolution. When you want to resolve anything, you take it back to its source. That's what resolve means. Um... And the source, according to yoga, of everything is joy, love um, you know it's this uh, you know it when it when it leaves that source place because that's what God is love, joy, unconditional, and everything comes from that, but it can become distorted and polluted. Uh, as it uh, becomes connected to our human uh, foibles and our greed and our feelings of inadequacy and our anger and all the negative emotions attached to that so in asana we have an opportunity if we want to take it to resolve those karmas Um, and those karmas have to do with our relationship with others and each category of asana has to do with a particular relationship. For instance, the standing asanas. Hello, are you still there?
0: I'm still here.
1: The standing asanas, like I'm, I'm sure your listeners probably are aware of the standing asanas, like um, triangle and uh, downward dog and those kinds of things. Well, they address stored karmas or unresolved relationship issues with parents, with the earth herself, with the environment. And the next category, the, the seated asanas, like you know, uh, bending forward, seated forward bend, or hip opening, they address karmic relationships with sexual partners or any kind of creative partnership that hasn't been truly resolved into joy or love or forgiveness. And so as you practice bending forward, you have an opportunity to let go and to resolve that relationship, whatever it may be that is causing you the tightness, the um, insecurity, the anger or the jealousy, etc. And I don't know if we have time, but each one of the the chakras um, coordinate with a type of asana. And each asana is connected to a specific relationship. Now, of course, unless you intend to use your asana practice to resolve your karmic relationships with others, it won't work that way. Because yoga will give you whatever you want. It all depends on your intention while you're doing it. So if you just want to use asanas, as a asana practice or people call them poses as an exercise form fine they'll give you that they'll give you flexibility and strength and all of that but if you want to use the asanas as a yoga practice meaning a way to help you resolve your karma so that you can feel the presence of god within they
0: can give you that too I have never heard that described so perfectly, so thank you very much. I'm sure that everybody out there who practices yoga will practice it in a much deeper and more meaningful way, starting now. So in our final minute, give us a minute of inspiration.
1: There's a chapter in the book that actually explains that karmic relationship with asana and, um,
0: and yoga, yes. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Ah, do you, you have a, a little blessing for us to end with? Thank Maybe you, your Roberta. favorite prayer.
1: Um, it's been uh, lovely and inspiring always to have any kind of conversation with you. You're so humble and enthusiastic, and and filled with with good wishes. And I'm I'm very honored to know you.
0: Well, that, that goes both ways. So uh, I know that the prayer that ends every Jiva Mukti yoga class is really about this. Would you like to chant the Loka yeah. Samastha chant? Loka Samastha
1: Sukino Bhavantu May all beings everywhere be happy and free And may the thoughts, words, and actions of my own life contribute in some way to that happiness and to that freedom for all.
0: That says it all. Thanks so much, Sharon. Thanks, Unity Online Radio. And thank you, listeners. God bless. Eat your veggies.